His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. listening to his and hers horror my name is tia and i'm david and we're back yeah i hope everyone had a safe and happy holiday season um thank you for being patient and sticking with us while we took some time off uh it was not a great fall season for us yeah no tandem illness all sorts of fun stuff yeah i had a bad cold yeah which then transformed into bronchitis Uh uh-huh and then right as I was starting to feel back to normal again. Yeah, you had just finished your antibiotic? I had been off the antibiotics for less than a week. Yeah. For the bronchitis. And then we both got COVID again. <laughs> yeah. And um, having had COVID twice now, I can say it was not as bad the second time around. Still not a thing I would want anyone to have to go through. No. Because it sucks. We definitely very quickly got back into the, well, we can't taste anything, so I guess we're going to live on Kraft Mac and Cheese for the next week. I mean, not to diss a classic, but, you know, it's easy on the throat. It's easy to make. Yeah. It feels like you're putting something into your body, even when you don't feel like it. Yeah. So we're, we're still a little sniffly, or at least I am. Yeah. But we no longer feel like death warmed over, so that's nice. No. Uh, so yeah, thank you everyone. I think we kind of decided that going forward, we'll probably take December off. Yeah. Just because with the holidays and work and family obligations and friend obligations, not to mention the fact that when we thought about it, we realized one of us was sick. One of us is usually sick in December for at least a week. Yeah. And so trying to plan around that. We're like, you know what? Let's just take that out of the equation. December is going to be our, like, relax and plan for the next year thing. Welcome to the next year. Exactly. Um, So in keeping with that, while we were taking a break, we decided we are going to do things a little differently to make life easier on ourselves. Because this, the show is, we love doing it, but it's like a second job that we don't get paid for. Yeah. And we do both have like full-time day jobs. Yeah. And we don't work the same shifts. Like David works during the day. I don't even go to work until two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. So (laughs) trying to like do stuff together and coordinate things, it can be a little tricky. It's Saturday and Sunday. Right. Basically. Um, So here is some, uh, some brief housekeeping things that we've got. So keeping track of what season of the podcast we were in was starting to hurt my brain. Mm -hmm. When we initially started the show, it was like in the middle of the year during the during the like initial lockdown of the pandemic. Yeah. And trying to keep track of that is just becoming like too meh, if that makes any sense. And since we decided going forward, we're just going to take December off. Going forward, every year is going to be a new season. So congratulations. Welcome to season five. Awesome. New year. Kind of a, I wouldn't say it's a reboot, but it is, it, it is a both drift from and uh, additional structure to format. It's going to be a lot easier to keep track of things. And it'll be a lot easier for all of you to keep track of things if you were wanting to watch and follow along. Mm-hmm. Because we're following the exact same mapping that's yeah. being used by the inspiration for this. Which is well, I haven't got. I have. Oh. I have more housekeeping things before okay. I get to that. You're jumping ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. So we're also going to get better at our rating system and um, actually remembering to do it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I feel like once we decided we were going to start doing that, we forgot half the time mm-hmm. until the episode was live and I was listening to it, and I would we would I would get to that section, I'd be like. Fuck, we forgot to do it. Yeah. <laughs> we forgot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's, it was so new. It was such a new concept that we just forgot half the time. So I'm, I'm trying to, gonna try and have us be better at that. Cool. 
doing themed episodes is also going to be less of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, honestly, it gets a little difficult once you've been doing something like this for a few years. It's hard not to tread old ground. Yeah. And we still want things to be new and interesting for you all. Right. I mean, it's one thing to hear your your friend retell a story to like a new group of people and you're like, oh, I know this one. This is a good one. But like the fifth party you've been to where you've heard that story, it, it gets a little old. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. So on that note, um, here's how we are going to be picking what films we cover going forward. Um, the easiest, you know, basically long story short answer is we're not. <laughs> um, one of my favorite comfort shows, I'm one of those people that I will just, I like to just have something to put on for noise. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if it's like a, a, a spectrum trait or, or something, but I will put on TV shows or movies or something that I've seen a million times just for background noise, like while I'm doing chores or something else, just that I don't have to concentrate on too right, much. Right, because you know it so well, you don't have to pay attention to it. Exactly. Uh, one of my favorite comfort shows is a 2022 Shutter series called The 101 Scariest Horror Movie Moments of All Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an eight-part series that chronicles the scariest movie moments in various films from people within the industry. Mm-hmm. So people who have not just worked on those films, but work in the, in the film industry, horror film industry in general, people who grew up with those movies or found them influential to their own work. Yeah. Um, so like Mike Flanagan, Kate Siegel, Greg Nicotero, Tom Savini, a um, lot of like more people than I could name. Yeah. Are involved in that. Uh, and there are quite a few films on that list that neither of us has ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like we're aware of them, but we haven't seen them. So this is going to be, it, it kind of became a marriage adopted in heaven. Just, I mean, we didn't, we didn't make it. We're just following the path. Yeah. We're basically, we're using that list as an opportunity to broaden our horizons while also creating more fun content for you guys. Mm-hmm. And hopefully inspiring some of y'all to check out some of these movies. Because some of these movies we ha- we've we seen before. There are some of the movies that are on the list that I had no intention of ever watching. Yeah. And there are some that I've seen that I'm like, I had no intention of ever watching it again. Mm-hmm. And. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We, um, <laughs> we're starting at the top of the list uh, with films 101 and 100 and working our way down in chronological order. Right. Uh, if you want to watch along, I compiled the full list. It's on my Letterboxd account. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also just highly recommend watching the series if you have Shudder. Shudder is, it's so great if you're a horror fan. Mm-hmm. Like, I highly recommend, for the shows alone, if you want to take advantage of it, what I would recommend doing is um, getting a subscription to AMC+, Plus because that gets you... AMC's This streaming. isn't sponsored, by No, the way. this isn't sponsored, but this is just the smartest way to do it. At least in the States. At least in, yeah, in, in the in the United States. So AMC Plus on Prime gets you AMC, Shudder, the Sundance Channel, and the IFC Channel. Yeah. So, and that's quite a bit for like $9 a month. And, and that's where you're going to find a lot of indie films where you're going to find a ton of horror films that you're not going to see other places Mm -hmm. or at least not as quickly. Exactly. I will say there aren't any, um, there aren't any shutter exclusives on the, uh, 101 scariest movie moments list. Just the 101 scariest movie moments series. The series itself is a shutter exclusive, of course. But, um, yeah, the movies are all readily available. You can, um, find them streaming online various places i will say uh one a couple more things before we get into it i recommend anyone who has the capability to start buying physical media physical media is quickly going the way of the dodo yeah um i actually saw an article this morning that best buy is phasing out all physical media in stores 
So here within the next six months or so, you will not be able to go into Best Buy and buy a Blu-ray or a CD. I don't know if that applies to video games as well, but yeah, they're, they're getting rid of all of it. Um, and Guillermo del Toro, like a month ago, I think, basically compared buying physical media to preserving film history. Mm. And that just really spoke to me. I've always been someone who really, I prefer physical media, mm-hmm. but given some of the stuff that some, some streaming platforms have pulled in the past year, where they'll just decide something doesn't need to be on their platform anymore. So now you can't watch it at all mm-hmm. because it was streaming only and they never released it physically. And now they've pulled it from their platform. So if you were waiting to watch it, you're just shit out of luck. Yeah. So yeah, that's why we're also going to be buying physical media um, wherever possible. There are like, there's like five things I think that are on this one oh one list that I can't find physical copies of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, So I have one more thing before we get into it. Okay. Okay. So there is a content creator. She started doing stuff on, uh, on TikTok, specifically like the book talk side of TikTok. Phoebes reads. So it's a P H E E B S and then reads like reading a book. R E A D S. Yes. So she has pretty much, if there's a horror book that I've read in the past year, she recommended it. The Troop is one of the first horror books I've read in a long time that genuinely terrified me. And it was her recommendation that that led me to it. So she just last week launched her YouTube channel. And one of the things that she's doing, it's she fully acknowledges that it's heavily inspired by the dead meat uh, kill count Mm -hmm. list. I, I have to, I'm assuming that like, James and Chelsea would, if they don't know about it, would at least be cool with it. I'm sure they know though. Yeah. I, I don't see how they could not. A lot, a lot of horror content creators, we, we all follow each other. Yeah. So, so it's like, <laughs> Ooh, I like the way you phrase that. Right. Exactly. I mean, as, as long as you're not stealing a catchphrase or like stealing people's jokes and shit. Right. Know? Exactly. And it's not stealing. She's not stealing anything. It's just the format is, is, yes. this, is similar. Yeah. So it's similar to the kill count, but it's with, books instead of like films and tv shows and things yeah so it's uh the first video that she did is on nick cutter's the troop and it is because of the very nature of it it's very spoiler heavy yeah so but she goes through and she like the kill count summarizes the book says you know this is who dies this is how you know how many people die for every so often pages mm-hmm. That kind of deal. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've seen her stuff on TikTok for a long time. She's very, she seems very nice. And when I asked if I could plug her channel, she was like, yes, absolutely. Please do. Yeah. So, so go, go check her out. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm giving her a follow. So yeah. 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 Hi, Phoebes. <laughs> <laughs> now let's not make this awkward. <laughs> yeah, it's not awkward. No, it's not. Let me take this off. I joke. I'm already done with it. There we go. All right, so that is all of the housekeeping stuff. Now, I don't think I mentioned it in my initial housekeeping, but we will be covering films that we've already covered. Yeah, there are, like I said, there's some that we've watched that, that we've even covered. So, But maybe it's been a while. Maybe we have new thoughts and feelings. Yeah, maybe on a, maybe on a second watch or a 15th watch in some cases, you, know, you might see something different. Right. So the first film we are going to be talking about today is 2014's It Follows. Mm. Uh, After sleeping with a man she's recently started dating, Jay learns she's being followed by a supernatural force that will follow her until it kills her unless she passes it on to someone else. Written and directed by David Robert Mitchell, Micah Monroe is Jay, Mm -hmm. Keir Gilchrist is Paul, Lily Seppi is Kelly, Olivia Lucardi is Yara, Daniel Zavato is Greg, and then Jake Weary is Q slash Jeff. Yeah. So this is one, this one we definitely have covered before. Mm-hmm. I think it's been a couple years. Uh, actually, I know it's been a couple years because we covered it in episode 69 because we had no shame. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so what are your thoughts about this? I think the last time we covered this, that was the first and only time you had watched It Follows. 
Yeah, so this 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 was my first rewatch. There there were a few things that really stuck out to me that I may not have caught initially. Okay. At very beginning of the movie. Very 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 be- beginning of the movie. Mhm. Girl named Annie running, right? Yeah. When she says that she doesn't need help, her no mm-hmm. seems to say something it, it it's it's not no I don't need help you know thanks for asking sort of thing it's very much there is nothing you or anyone else in this universe could do to help me like it's this just unknowable bottomless depth of just no just the 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 amount of dread that's in her voice yeah and it's one of those things that that whole opening with Annie it has me wondering like. How long had she been running from this thing? Yeah. And did she just decide she was tired of running? Yeah. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um, another thing that I may or may not have pointed out is uh, the way it's shot. Mm-hmm. I've tentatively given it uh, the, the name oppressive gaze because it feels like I'm peeping on someone. Like I'm Like if I were caught, I'd probably be in trouble or the cops would get caught. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a, it, it's almost hyper-voyeuristic without it, like, being distracting. Does and that I make feel sense? Like, yeah, and I feel like a, the lighting has a lot of, has a lot to play in that because there's no, it's never, almost never is it bright and sunny in this film. They never really tell us exactly when the film takes place. Mm-hmm. Not only what time of year, but what time. Like, this movie feels like it takes place in an alternate timeline because you've got... They're they're watching movies on old box TVs, but Yara has this e-reader clamshell thing. Dual that, screen, you know. Dual, that looks really cool, but like I would never actually want one. Yeah. When I say clamshell, I mean like it literally looks like a clamshell compact. Yeah. And like a case like Annie at the beginning drives a new car, but then later on everyone's driving older cars. It seems like this is like like alternate earths kind of deal does that make sense kind kind of like uh you know fincher's city in seven where it's it's a city and you, you recognize all the hallmarks of a city but it doesn't really say what this, city it this is. is where i am no no and it follows it's clearly in detroit or suburb, suburbs of detroit because they later talk about eight mile yeah because they talk about you know walking south of eight mile and stuff um which actually i've got a note on like, physically, you know where they are in the U.S., but you don't know when they are in the U.S. Yeah. Um, actually, going back to Yara for a moment, I, I feel like that far into the movie when they're sitting on the beach just kind of giving themselves a breather, like maybe we drew, drove far enough away to buy us some time, mm-hmm. you know, at this little cabin thing, that bit with Yara and that not being Yara, and then, like, you see Yara walking, and then you see her floating in the water, and you're like... Oh shit! Yeah, something's about to go down, and then you see the hair go up. Because that's the whole thing with this entity. It's like only people that have been infected by it can see it. Right. So even if you've passed it on, like Hugh passes it on to Jay, and so he can still see mm-hmm. the entity, but um, now she can too because she's the current person behind the eight ball, so to speak. You know right. what I mean? Right. And it can look like anyone. It can look like a stranger. It can look like your best friend. So, yeah, that scene on the beach where they've gone to, like, Greg's, like, summer house Mm -hmm. to try and and give themselves time to think. You see Jay and Paul. um, Greg's gone off to pee in some bushes. You know where he is. The only person you don't know where she is is Yara. But then you see her walking up behind Jay and you're like, oh, there's Yara. But then it... In, in the flashes next back to the water and you see Yara come floating in <laughs> from behind Paul's head and you're like oh shit. This is either a big editing mistake or one of these is not Yara. Yeah. And then all everyone else sees is a chunk of Jay's hair just lift above her head like someone has grabbed her hair and is going to pull her up by her hair. Yeah. And it's just, it's, oh gosh. But like that moment. It's so creepy. It goes from a group of friends helping a friend that clearly has some psychological issues to work through. 
She's going to open up about it eventually. We're probably making some assumptions, but like. Because they're all we, thinking that this is a manifestation of her trauma. Right, right. They have no proof of what she's saying. They just see her freaking the fuck out. And they're really worried about her. But now they're seeing things they cannot explain. They're, you know, smacking forces, forces that shouldn't be there. You yeah. Know, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Something that's not visible, like, slams Paul across the fucking beach. Right. And leave scratches. Right. So so that's one of those things that I feel like really, you know, flips the switch in the film. Mm-hmm. That, that changes the dynamic of this group from going, okay, you know. I guess this is real. Now they're like, okay, so if this is all real, it kind of ties into my next point. Um, and that that is, that is um, well, one, Greg... Greg went too soon, but uh, Paul gives me very much, you know, nice guy, oh, lady nice vibes. guy who's been who thinks he's been friend zoned. Like, like he feels like he's he, you know, he should do this favor for Jay because he deserves to to get inside her, uh, you know, inner circle, if you will. Yeah. Um. God, that's a terrible pun, but I'll leave it in. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, and. Speaking of guys in this movie that are kind of... Ugh, Pretty um, much all of them. Well, yeah. But, like, Hugh specifically is a fucking asshole. Oh, absolutely. Because here's the thing. It's clear in the beginning of the film when he and Jay are first going out that he's already passed it on to somebody else. He thinks he's safe. And he's trying to move on with his life. So it seems like he's dating Jay because he genuinely likes her. And then when he realizes that the entity is after him again, he could have picked anyone. He's a handsome guy. He could have gone to a bar. He could have there. We see later in the film that there are sex workers. And I'm not saying you should do that necessarily. But like, there was no reason for him to do this to Jay. No. He's, he clearly felt bad about it. He clearly didn't necessarily want to do it. But he was like, well, she's here. And it's like, yeah, but why why her it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me and it really bothers me it's it's a total selfish dick move yeah like it really felt to me like if i were in that friend group or like as voyeuristic as it's shot i kind of felt you know you kind of feel like you're there Mm -hmm. i kept wanting to say and actually said out loud a couple times things like paul you're not trying to help jay you're trying to get your dick wet Right. That that's, he's using it as an opportunity to get something that he's all that he already wanted. It's a bad fucking look, dude. Like even if you if, even if you truly are, just come on, man. Yeah. Or maybe don't. But even if you truly care, like it's like you're using this to your advantage. Yeah. Regardless. And that just kind of grossed me out. Yeah. Uh, where where did this final battle plan come from? Because it feels just kind of abrupt. Because all, all I could think of was the ant on Jay's arm at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. the I know that the director has said that, like, it, it's essentially, like, dream logic. Mm. Like, they're just a bunch of scared kids. Of course, their plan was never going to work. It's stupid. But you do, you, as a kid, you're just kind of trying to figure out, like, well, let's try this. That kind of deal. Yeah. Um, well, the reason I ask is, like... First of all, that building that they used, presumably south of 8 Mile, because why else would they have brought that up in conversation? They also talk about how it's an abandoned pool, but it's, like, super clean. Yeah, like, that is the nicest abandoned pool I've seen like who's anywhere. Maintain- what pool person is maintaining the water in an abandoned swimming pool? <laughs> Probably the same person that gave Jay a fresh cast. Yeah, I don't know. Because uh, that, that, that kind of pulled me a little bit. I know it's pedantic, but, like... Before Jay winds up, like, in the pool proper, like, Jay's got a fresh cast on when it was, like, all soggy before, and it was... Yeah. It, it was just weird. But overall, for me, with It Follows, like, is, is it cool if I give kind of a final vibe? Yeah, go for it. Um, For one, the fear is a constant dread that, like, it... This film does it so well that it, it hangs kind of, like old cigar smoke from yesterday like you know what happened you know what's there and it's lurking and it open a window all you want it's still gonna be there it's 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 ever present um and also paul's gotta learn that his dick ain't special okay fair 
There's an old um, Cracked After Hours video mm-hmm. where um, they're talking about, like, movie curses and which curse you would actually want that would be, like, the most beneficial. Yeah. Uh, and Swaim actually makes a good point about It Follows. Mm-hmm. So he talks about timing the speed of the entity. Because the thing is, it it never gets above a walk. Right, so it's not like... It's not not running. It's not taking a bus. (laughs) Well, now, the director has said it. Ostensibly, the entity could get on a plane or on a bus if it wanted to. But typically, it's just walking towards you. So if you could figure out exactly how fast it walks, you would know, you would be able to figure out how far you could travel before it reached you again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the kind of logic that someone who isn't currently experiencing it can figure out that I think someone in the throes of it, probably they're just so scared that it wouldn't, it wouldn't occur to them. Right. But yeah, I think like he specifically talks about like walking to the other end of a football field and timing it to see how far it goes. Yeah. Like how fast it gets from like one yard line to the next and then doing the math to be like, all right, how long would it take to get to me if it was walking from this city to this city? How many, how much time would I have to just chill? Right. So, uh, I have a couple facts. Cool. Um, the director has confirmed that condoms don't stop the curse from being passed on. So it's the act, not, not any kind of like bodily transmission. Yeah. Neither do same sex encounters. So it would still be passed on. Yes. Um, and while people like me, as well as like critics and, and, film buffs at large have tried to figure out the entity like what it is that kind of deal uh david robert mitchell isn't really interested in figuring out what it is and where it comes from um he's quoted as saying to me it's dream logic in the sense that they're in a nightmare and when you're in a nightmare there is no solving the nightmare even if you try to solve it mm-hmm. mitchell said that while jay quote opens herself up to danger through sex the one way in which she can free herself from that danger. We're all here for a limited amount of time and we can't escape our mortality, but love and sex are two ways in which we can at least temporarily push death away. Mm. So one of the things that with this new style that we're doing with this new method of movie picking, uh, I wanted to talk about what the series talks about, which is what they think, what they have said is the scariest scene. Mm Mm-hmm. And whether or not I I agree. Like, is that the scariest scene for me also? That kind of deal. Um, so I have a couple of quotes from sure. the show. Yeah. Um, so this is this section is titled Professional Opinions. So the scariest scene per shutter is that cold open with Annie. Yeah. So you've got Annie, we're seeing her come out, she comes running out of her house clearly terrified by something that she can see but we can't see she you know her dad is like what's wrong and she's just like nothing nothing it's fine everybody's like are you okay she's like i'm fine there's nothing you can do to help me and then she drives off and we see her on a beach and she's just sitting on the beach and her dad calls and she answers and is talking to him and saying I'm sorry I can be such a shit to you sometimes. I don't know why I do that. I love you. And then it's a smash cut to her dead on the beach, like mutilated. Yeah. I thought that was a voicemail she was leaving for him. No, she answered the phone because her dad had been trying to call her as she was driving away. Mm. And then we see her driving and her phone is still ringing. She does eventually answer and talk to him. Leaving him a voicemail. That's what I thought too. But upon rewatch and also watching that scene repeatedly to get the quotes. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I won't question it. Uh, so the first quote I have is from uh, Tanana Rive Du. Mm-hmm. She is a American author and educator. She does um, a lot of, she teaches, I think at UCLA, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. And this is what she has to say about the cold open. From the beginning, I was like, eh, total male gaze, you know, why is she running in heels? On rewatching it, I better understand why she's running in heels, because she's always running. There's nothing new about this running. She's running all the time. And sometimes you just have to run with what you're wearing. 
Hmm. Uh, next, I have uh, a quote from Andy Muschietti. Oh, yeah. Who is, I didn't really, he was, did you know he's Argentinian? I did not. I did not either. Uh, but he is a director and screenwriter. And uh, regarding this cold open, he says, you don't see the gruesome murder, but you see the effects of it. And you see her contorted on the beach and it's like, oh, fuck. That's a great setup. Because now you know what this guy's going to do to you, what these people that are following you are going to do to you. My last quote is from Jeffrey Reddick, who is an American screenwriter and director. Mm-hmm. There was just so much dread in that film. It was a really interesting, smart, new kind of genre piece that I think will always be on the list of films that did something new with the genre. So I I love that cold open. A good cold open in a horror film really sets the tone yeah. for the rest of the film. And I feel like that one does it perfectly. For me, the scariest moment is um, it's before anybody else knows that the entity is real other than Jay. She sees something. She runs to her sister's room. She shuts the door. She's in the room with her sister and Paul. And then they hear knocking and it tur- it's Yara. Yeah. So they open the door and Yara is just like, has been woken up from sleep. She's rubbing her eyes. She's like, what's going on? And from behind her out of the dark comes this insanely tall man with these black hollow eyes. Mm-hmm. And it's almost a jump scare, but like, that's a fear, a huge fear for me. Like, I'm not scared of the dark. I'm scared of the things that could be in the dark that I can't see. And that whole something coming from the darkness and becoming visible slow, like, not slowly, but like relatively quickly, and you realizing it's something you didn't want to see. No, thank you. <laughs> that gets, that really gets me. It's just, my reaction is Jay's reaction where she sees him and she just screams and jumps out of fucking window. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, uh, thank you. No, thank you. What else can you do? Yeah, exactly. Um, so do, are we ready to rate it? Can I tell you my scariest moment? Yes. The way Greg died. Oh, God. Because you, you're not really sure. Like... Because she had taken the, you know, Voltron form of Greg's mom. It had taken the form of his, because at one point Jay passes it on to Greg to, because she's stuck in, the, she gets in a car crash and is stuck in the hospital and can't leave. So he agrees to take it. You know, to buy her some time. Just and to case. buy her some time. And he doesn't ever see anything. So he ends up not passing it on because he doesn't believe her. And it's like he's on the ground and it's like. The entity is riding him in the, in that cracked video I mentioned earlier, they, they act like the, they say that it fucks you to death. Well, I mean, she clearly seemed to be fucking him to death, but what, like, I don't know if it's a, if it's that, or if it's like, um, the, the closest thing that I can relate the entity to as far as existing lore would be like an incubus or a succubus, mm. but something that is, is without gender. And that can can shift to how whatever it needs to shift in order to feed on that energy. Because that's the thing, incubi and succubi, they feed on sexual energy. Right. And so I almost wonder if this is something similar to that. But again, I Why, mean, we don't know. I think the unknowableness of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want a background. I don't want, you know, it follows origins. It hasn't gone anywhere yet. No. You know, or, you know. They're making a sequel and I'm, and that, I, and uh, that in and of itself, I'm really, I'm like, it was fine the way it was. Just. It it doesn't, it doesn't need another. I know. But, you know. If, or if, you know what? Tell, tell this, make a sequel. Completely new characters. Different location. Different location, completely different people. Or same location. Maybe there's more than one of these things. You know. Maybe maybe someone tried Swaim's thing and it starts in Italy. Who knows? You know? I don't know. Um, but like just the idea of something taking the image of something that should be something, you know, should be a person that... that you find love and comfort in. Right. To not kind of find that kind of love and comfort. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're looking for here. Um, this ain't Oedipus. But, but then also, you know, like the way I would look at it, like, I'd rather be dead than be fucked to death by my mom. So. Yeah. 
or a thing that looked like her. Yeah. No, I mean, at that point, no, just let's, let's, no. let's cut the extra steps. Just, kill, we, just slit my throat. <laughs> we don't need a side dish. Just kill me. It's, yeah. It's good. Uh, so what do you rate this film? Uh, is that a five? We, yeah, we just sat out a five. And I'm just going to use stars. I know we tried to use skulls, but we kept fucking up and saying one of, like, well, saying the wrong thing. Well, because, you know, stars just kind of, kind of rings. Yeah. Um, I would give this a solid three and a half. Okay. Any additional thoughts to add to that? It's, it's a fun romp. It's, it's full of dread. It's actually not nearly as grotesque as people make it out to be i mean Mm -hmm. they're the you know the the dead are very briefly viewed so it's the it's the fear of what could happen is what really drives the film the most significant amount of you know gore is in the cold open yeah um and actually you know that cold open reminds me of mm -hmm. the ring oh yeah 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 that shot in the closet yeah yeah like same kind of feel, but like not as a hey, we're lifting it, but like this is what you have to. Prepare. You did the heavy lifting yeah. a decade or so ago, or two. De- I don't know. Time's weird. Um, I'm, we we were just talking about songs that just turned twenty and just turned thirty, and it's like no, yeah, drop it like it's hot. Came out twenty years ago, y'all. Yeah, and I'm not okay with that that amount of time. I turned thirty nine. Yeah. Actually, the day that this goes live, I will be 39. Yes. Because it'll be the day after my birthday. Yes. Well done, you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> but, I mean, overall, I, I would probably write, rate it higher if if I felt more fear. But it really didn't build fear for me. So I gave it three stars. Okay. Because here's the thing. It's a great film. Love the cold open. Again, like I said, love a good horror cold open. Likeable. It sets the tone. Likeable characters. For the most part, yeah. Love Yara. Yara is the queen. Um, But I feel like it loses a bit of that tension on a rewatch. Mm-hmm. But it's still a really good film. I would recommend it to most people. Yeah. I I, I think my biggest detraction point is probably the landing. It it has a landing, but it, it doesn't stick it. There was a bounce at the dismount. I feel like the ambiguity of the ending was necessary. Mm. And that's part of why I'm also not happy about a sequel, because it's going to spoil that ambiguity. Unless it unless it magically keeps it ambiguous still and just Maybe? says, hey, look, this is just scary shit that happens. Like you hear about, oh, you know, five teenagers, sad, sad thing. No one knows why. That's what it is. It, you know, kind of go meta on it and be like, yeah, this shit happens. Yeah. Kind of like Cabin in the Woods did, where it's like, all the these horror movies you've you've seen, those are things that just happen, but they're rituals to keep us happy on planet Earth. Yeah, you know. Sorry to weave in other other media, but like that that those are the things that it, the the flavors I'm getting. So the second film we will be talking about today is 2007's The Orphanage or El Orfanato. Yes, it's a Spanish film. I think this is. We've done a handful of Spanish films yeah. before because we did we did some Guillermo del Toro stuff at one point. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Directed by J. A. Bayona, screenplay by Sergio G. Sanchez. Forgive me so much if I mispronounce any of these names. Okay. I it's been a minute since I took Spanish in high school because <laughs> as I just said, I'm almost thirty nine. <laughs> yeah. So it's been twenty years since I took any Spanish. Um. So. Belena Rueda is Laura. Mm-hmm. Fernando Cayo is Carlos. Uh, Roger Princep is Simon. Mabel Rivera is Pilar. Montserrat Carulla is Benina Escobedo. Edgar Vivar is Professor Leo Balaban. Geraldine Chaplin is Aurora. Andres Gertrudy is Enrique, and then Oscar Casas is Tomas. How did I do? <laughs> well enough. Did it sound like I knew what I was talking about? All right. It sounded like you did your best. Okay. Um, so the plot, uh, Laura has happy memories of her childhood at an orphanage, so she convinces her husband to buy the now-abandoned building and help her convert it into a home for sick children. Yes. One day, her own adopted son, Simone, disappears. 
we find out early in the film that Simone is HIV positive, so he's got pills he has to take every day. When he is still missing several months later, he is presumed dead by basically everyone except for Laura. Right. Grief-stricken, she believes she hears spirits that may or may not be able to help her find her son. So I had actually, I had seen this film before. It, it had been a while. I think I saw it when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those films that at the time, so 2007, I would have been in my early 20s. I think I just didn't, I just didn't grok with it. Yeah, didn't really um, connect. I didn't really connect with, with Laura. Um, I, I just wasn't, I, I don't know what it was. I just wasn't feeling it. So, Okay. Let me get into this. Yeah. Back when I first watched this movie, I didn't really watch a whole lot of of foreign language films. Mm -hmm. And my extent of like American horror films was largely slashers. Um, Some of your like classic ghost stories like The Others was a favorite. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. But didn't really watch this kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Since then, I have vastly expanded my my horror film palette. And you've gotten used to reading subtitles, too. I've gotten used to be re- reading subtitles, and I've expanded my film palette, I feel, in general. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there is a subtlety to a lot of foreign language horror films, particularly those from um, like Spain, Italy, Argentina, Brazil. There's an elegance to them that you don't often find in American horror films. Yeah. Almost, and I, go ahead. I'm just, I'm almost wondering since I, I know, and this, I hate the way this sounds in my head, but I'm going to just try to put it out there. Maybe we can workshop it. Okay. I feel like a lot of the world looks at, well, there's American movies, you know, that's the big time. And then there's like more regional fare that they know isn't going to be seen as globally. Right. I, and that sounds like a shitty thing to say when, when it's coming from, you know, my country but like i don't see every film that comes out of japan i don't see every film that comes out of china or or anything like that and when i lived or or, you know when i traveled overseas or when i lived overseas i saw a lot of american films out there Mm -hmm. i mean oftentimes under different titles because you know one thing doesn't make any sense in another language it's like that's that's weird why don't we just call it this there's one country i don't remember which one it is where jaws is called the teeth of the sea I think it's France. Uh, that sounds like French. I think it might be France. Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, that that sounds about right. Um, but my point is, I feel like sometimes in a lot of markets, like like the ones you mentioned, mm-hmm. I'm noticing a lot more stylistic choices that almost feel more universal mm-hmm. than niche. Yeah. So. This is something that you may not have ever seen a contraption, a device, a method, a practice, but you watch for five seconds, you know what's happening. Mm-hmm. You don't have to understand the language to see in picture, oh God, what is that? Like when you see something and the character doesn't know what it is either, it's presented in a way where you too don't know what the hell that thing is because you could present something else that you don't know in a way but if the character, you know, their their eyes light up and, you know, they 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 see with a smile, just that bit of acting, mm-hmm. we see that and we go, oh, that must have some sort of warm memory. Maybe we're going to learn more about it. And we're not freaked out. So, like, that's the beauty of some of this, especially international horror films. I mm-hmm. love, I love, love, love those because it doesn't hand you anything. It no. says, watch and learn. And that's not to say that there aren't horror films from other countries that aren't like oh yeah there's total schlock out there <laughs> what they're well not i wasn't gonna say schlock i was gonna say that not everything is this stylistic elegant tale right you also have stuff like i saw the devil and which is old also boy fantastic <laughs> right <laughs> those movies are not subtle <laughs> terrifier is that an international property i don't think so no oh it feels very international yeah but, like, I don't know. I just... These movies are, are very much... They take their time. Oh, yeah. Um, and you have to give them that time. These, this, these are solid investments. This is not... You can't, you can't have your phone. 
No. While you're watching something no. like The Orphanage or um, The Devil's Backbone. Right. Get your snacks ahead of time. Mm-hmm. If you need to get up to go to the bathroom or drink some water or something. You well, need to pause. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't need to pause if you're drinking water, but if you need to get more. Yeah. Pause it. So one of the things that they talk about that is featured in this movie is there's this ghost boy who has a sack on his head. Um, his name is Tomas. And they talk, the reason he wears a sack on his head is he has this facial deformity. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the movie was over and I was thinking about it a couple days later that I realized what his facial deformity reminds me of. Specifically, who? Mm. Mason Verger and Hannibal. Yeah. I mean, granted, Mason Verger got his a uh, different way, but yeah. Right. But it, the, it, it's the, rough. Yeah. The makeup style is quite similar. Yeah, it's it's one of those like, damn, that's cold. You're putting a bag over the kid's head and then you take the bag off. and You go, hey, you know, we I wasn't like judging you. I was just saying, you know, you, like we could put the bag on. That's fine. Right. We, we don't. We don't <laughs> I mean, we're having dinner soon. Because this was the time where medical technology probably wasn't at the best. His mom worked at an orphanage out in the country so she probably didn't have a whole lot of money for medical stuff to begin with right this was just the easiest solution is it a shitty solution absolutely sometimes the shitty solution is your best option yeah you know yeah also can i just say kids can say some really scary cold ass shit yeah like they may not necessarily mean any malice behind it but when they're like so will i get that when you die it's like, dude, I ain't planning on dying anytime soon. It's going to be obsolete. You just you just ask yeah. your parents for an Xbox, okay? Calm down. <laughs> uh, do you have any additional thoughts before I move into the uh, professional opinions? Yes. Yes, I do have some notes. Go for it. This is such a cold burn that I actually have a note in here. Um, it says, already kind of bored. This isn't doing much for me. And this was around the time that the husband gave... Laura, his St. Anthony pendant. It's this touching moment. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't care. Was that before or after their son went missing? That's that's after. Okay. Which, if anyone... St. Anthony is the patron saint of lost things. Yeah. Um, but then I got re- recaptured back in. Because that group therapist's voice... I don't even have to look at the subtitles to know what he's saying. He's saying, my voice is in a frequency... That you find soothing, relaxing, and pleasant. Yeah, because she's at like a support group for people who have like, whose children have died. And they're all trying to like give her advice and stuff. But she starts to get pissed because she's like, my son's not dead. He's just missing. Because that's, she's convinced. Yeah. She's convinced herself she's going to find him at some point. And in a way, kind of like with Jay in It Follows, here again you have a single person ha- holding on to one belief while everyone else goes, isn't it so sad? I mean, her child's been missing for eight months. Obviously dead, right? Right. And this poor thing, she just can't let go. He has to take medication daily and he's been missing for several months. There's no way he's still alive. But think of the healthcare costs. You know. Well, uh, oh, hey, wait, no, it's Spain. Whoa. Never mind. No, it's... <laughs> Their um, healthcare is probably better than ours. Yeah. Um, Especially since her husband is a doctor. Oh, yeah. Also, when the old lady got murked, I wasn't sad. Oh, God, yes. Okay, so there's this old lady, uh, Benina Escobedo, who initially comes to their house claiming to be like a social worker checking up on their adopted son. With like a file and everything. Yeah, I don't know how she got that. That's really weird. Uh, Because it turns out she's not. She she is the woman who she's a woman who used to work at the orphanage. Mm -hmm. You find out later that not long after Laura was adopted... The other kids at the orphanage took Tomas's mask as a prank, and he was so ashamed of his face that he refused to come out of this cave and ended up drowning. Mm-hmm. And in revenge, Benina, who worked at the orphanage and was Tomas's mother, poisoned all of the children that were left. So, yeah, the orphanage is haunted by not just Tomas, but these other children who were Laura's childhood friends. Right. So, I mean, it's like one thing to be like, oh, man, I wonder where those kids back in second grade were. Well, they're right there. Yeah. 
You can still play games with them, and she does. Um, um, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Let's see. Next note. Oh, yeah. Um, this pulled me back out of it again because they do some paranormal research, and one of the pieces of gear they brought in was a model of oscilloscope that I have used in real-world use, and that's how they're using it is not how an oscilloscope works. No. Anyone who who knows what I'm talking about, when you see it, you know. You if you know, you know. If you don't, just enjoy the movie. Yeah. Um, I did. I was watching it enough to be like, that looks like an oscilloscope. I don't think that's how that works. But then I just kind of like moved on. <laughs> um, and then my other thoughts were um, the ending is gut wrenching, but expected. Because, you know, sometimes you don't need a big surprise at the end of the movie. Sometimes sometimes some of the scare is knowing where this is going. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like when you hear someone has something unfortunate happen and you're familiar with what that unfortunate thing is, you know the things attached to it or involved with it or what comes after. So you're like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. It's, you know, you have em- empathy for that. And so it's one of those things where you start to realize what happened before the character does. And you're just like, oh, no. I, I would <laughs> say, honestly, at face value, this is a great flick. Don't try to pick it apart. Don't no, try to analyze it. Don't do what I did, mm-hmm. um, and you'll have a you'll have a better time. I mean, it's beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. It's 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 dreamlike in, yeah. in the visual style. Like even when things are like stark and hard and cold, it still feels dreamlike. It it is very much evocative of some like gothic, like c- classic gothic horror, yeah, ghost story type deals. It very much for me harkens back to stuff like um, the innocence and um, the haunting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. things like that. That are woman in black, maybe a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Um. So the scariest moment per Shutter is when Laura toward it's towards the end of the movie when Laura is she's basically at her wits end. And she she makes a deal with the ghost children that uh, she will play with them if they'll help her find Simone. So their scariest moment is when she is playing this child's game with them. Um, I don't remember what it's called in Spanish, but it's um, one, two, three, knock on the wall. Yep. So it's essentially like a uh, red light, green light Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So you say you're facing like a wall or a tree. a tree or something and you, you know, knock one, two, three, knock on the wall and you turn around and see the people behind you. You turn back and you do it again. One, two, three, knock on the wall. And the first person to get to you wins, right. basically. So um, she's doing this. In a room inside the orphanage, the door is closed. She's facing the wall. She says, you know, one, two, three, knock on the wall. Turns around, nothing. She does it again. She starts to do it again. And she hears something behind her and she turns and the door's open. She does it again. She turns and there's a child (laughs) standing in the doorway in the dress of how she and the other orphans used to dress because there was like a uniform yeah and every time she does it when she turns there's more children and they're getting closer and they're getting closer until the second to last time she does it she turns and you realize the one who was in front is gone and then she turns back to the wall to do it again and it's like one two three and before she can finish a hand touches her shoulder and she turns around and all the ghost children run out of the room. One of them runs through a wall. Yeah. And it's just such a good slow build. Um, Even when you think you know what's going to happen as you're seeing it play out, mm -hmm. there's an impact to it. Yeah. So I have three quotes. Okay. From professionals on the show. So the first is Samuel Zimmerman. Uh, He's a producer and film curator with Shudder. Mm-hmm. Uh, the orphanage is wildly elegant, which is a great tradition in ghost stories. It feels like a very classical haunter, which goes back to what we were saying. Yeah. Uh, Lydia Hurst is an American model and actress. Uh, she says, it's so powerful and it's not your typical horror movie. 
it's terrifying, but at the same time, it's beautiful. Yeah. It, it, it's like there's moments that are happy and there's moments that are gut-wrenchingly sad. Yeah. So the final quote I have is specifically in regards to this scene. Uh, and it's Fede Alvarez. Mm-hmm. Great director. Uh, he's uh, a Uruguayan filmmaker. Uh, he did my favorite Evil Dead, which is the 2013 Evil mm-hmm. Dead. He also did Don't Breathe, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen yet, but it's on the list. So yeah. we're going to watch it eventually. I looked at a picture of him the other day and I was like, man, he's handsome. He is. Uh, <laughs> Um, so he's, ta- he's, he's breaking down this scene and he says, uh, normally that scene, she would throw a look and you would cut to what she's looking at and then go back to her face, throw a look, cut to what she's looking at. But Juan A does the right thing, which is to decide to stay on one shot and just pan. Because when that camera pans in the theater, there's no way to stop it. It's going to go where it's going to go. And you know, something horrific is going to show up. The kids are going to be there and it's going to be terrifying. It's incredible when something so simple can be so good. Yeah. Basically, the camera forces you to say, no, we're going here. Yeah. In the best way possible. Exactly. There's another there's another film later on where that he he says the worst thing that the camera can do is take you to the monster. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what is happening here. The worst thing the camera can do is show you the thing that you don't want to look at. And it does it. So I rated this three stars. Um, most of the time, this film feels less like a horror film and more like a drama. But I feel like that's just kind of part of how um, Spanish, you know, Spanish, Italian. I feel like that's just kind of how their horror films are. Especially some, some, of, the, some of the modern. Mm-hmm. The uh, horror is a means to an end. Right. And sometimes the horror is, I mean, not to detract from, from this film, you know, directly, but like, if you look at something like Pan's Labyrinth, mm-hmm. the horror is not, in my opinion, the fantastical, magical realm with, with you know, dude that eats fairies and is going to chase you with eyes in his hands. No, that's not the scary part. No, it's the fucking fascist. It's the fucking fascist you're living in a house with. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's the guy who smashes a bottle into somebody's face. Or shoot someone in the head through their through their hand through their hand and yeah yeah th- that's a defensive wound by way of head trauma yeah you know that that's the horror so it's kind of like saying oh yeah I made a horror movie and there's ghosts in it but the ghosts aren't the scary part the ghosts are not the scary part yeah the the shit we're doing every day that's the scary part and the contrast with the ghosts is going to be so learn <laughs> so I forgot to do this part before I moved on to rating yeah 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 What's so. Up? So the 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 one two three knock on the wall that is scary. But a moment for me, oh yeah, the moment for me that has the most horror is when Laura realizes what happened to Simone. Yeah, that he was in the yeah. house the whole time, that he had been dead the whole time, basically, and that her actions inadvertently led to his death. Like I don't have kids. But I can imagine that moment being just devastating when you realize that the person that you love most in the world is gone because of something you did. Like, and, and that's another thing that I feel like happens a lot with, um, with foreign language horror films is that real is, is there's a lot of, there's heart and, drama and dread i don't cry often at the end of american horror films Mm. i have cried at the end of every single spanish horror film i've watched i cried at the end of devil's backbone pan's labyrinth the orphanage i've cried at the end of every single one because it just rips your fucking heart out because it's like okay so you've been enjoying this ride slap Mm -hmm. now go home (laughs) like the only the only the only thing I can equate it to as far as like a horror thing that also hit me in the feels is a lot of Mike Flanagan's work. Yeah. Cause like, um, follow the house of Usher that last episode, I was crying basically the entire fucking time. Right. <laughs> Same thing with haunting of Hill house last episode. I was crying almost the entire fucking time. That doesn't happen very often, right. but it does happen for me with these Spanish language films. I don't, I, I think it's just, again, it goes back to the, to the elegance and the, the, 
perfect marriage of terror and beauty and and heart, you know? It almost asks you, what is scary? What is grotesque? Mm-hmm. You think that? That's grotesque? Look at what you do every day. Yeah. I, I, I also see this... I mean, you see this with some American films, but I see it a lot with foreign films. There's always a moment or a beat or something that makes you take pause and go, this is all wrong. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why would we continue doing this? And then you, like, you let that float in your head for a moment and you go, we do that every day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, it's whether it's, you know, continuously repeating the same pattern and searching the same areas, looking for something different. Yeah. Like we have in the orphanage. It's seeking out revenge but not getting complete revenge over and over and over again yeah. till till an ultimate end. Horror in the mundane. You know, it's it's these things and I feel like yes, I made note of times when I was bored watching the orphanage. I'm not gonna lie to you. If you want something that's actually going to make you go, wait, what? This you're going you're going to want to start looking at your phone you're gonna start going oh my god how long has it been mm-hmm. if you're that kind of person i'm not saying it's this way for everybody if if you're like me you might want to tune out please stick with it at least at least it's not the like payoff a, is worth it it's not a three hour long movie no you know you can do it mm-hmm. because by the end of it like if i had checked out and not finished it i would have been so pissed yeah because then i would have lost out on the payoff mm-hmm. what do you rate it i give it a four you gave it a four? I gave it a four simply for the fact that it exceeded my expectations by simply being a good, solid movie that, yes, it there there is horror, but I feel like it it was therapeutic. This is a movie I would recommend to my mom. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a horror film that it doesn't have any gore. It's got the classic kind of haunted thing that she is, has there's been a fan intrigue. of before. Yeah, there's been a certain... Actually... The biggest moment of gore is when that one woman gets hit by a bus. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a flash. It, it's, it's it's a brief moment. Yeah, it, it it is very Final Destination, and I and I absolutely loved it. I'm like, okay, I'm awake. I'm getting coffee. Please pause. Because you know? it comes out of nowhere. You're just like, oh shit. <laughs> and then they show her, and she has no jaw. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Are we ready to close? I think so. Yay. Otherwise, we'll get arrested for indecent exposure. What? Clothes. We need clothes. Oh my god. What? Finish. Are we ready to finish the show? I don't speak that. David! Yes, ma'am. I swear to god. Yeah, we're, we're ready to wrap up. What? I don't know when you finish. I'll learn some. No. My god, you're such a dork. Yes. And you're married to me. I know. I pointed that out to the checker at the grocery store yesterday. Yes, you did. He was making jokes, and I was like, I live with him. And then she goes, does he do dad jokes? Come on. I had to throw one out there. Anyway. All right. So, uh, again, thank you, everybody, who put up with us taking so long off. Like I said, we're, I mean, we're hopefully not going to do that anymore. At least not for a while. Our next planned planned vacation is not until, like, 11 months from now. So, yeah, it's fine. As always, you can follow us on the social medias. We have a Facebook group. I'm trying to get away from using Twitter just because the person who owns it fucking sucks. So we are also on threads and I'm going to try and get better. I know I've said this before, but like with this kind of format, I don't know what to put on our Instagram. (laughs) Do I put the covers of the DVDs that we're watching for the show? Like, what do I do? We don't have a perhaps it's you shadow box full of cool shit that fans have sent us. Like, we don't have those, we don't have like little knickknacks that people have made in reference to jokes we've made. We don't have animatics that I can post or anything. So yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. You all are just going to have to be patient with me. Um, you can also follow us on. Um, blue Sky? Yeah, we have a Blue Sky, but I haven't been on it in ages because there's almost nobody on it still. Well, I mean, there's just, it's, there's, we're still in the network connection. Right. Phase. Um, but no, we're on threads and Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I also have a letterboxed yeah. if anybody wants to follow. It's like my own personal letterboxed, but 
it I put stuff for the show on it. So. Yeah, and you've posted that on the socials too. So. I have. Yeah. Uh, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. Uh, you can support us for as little as a dollar a month. That dollar goes towards, um, well, now most of what it goes towards is buying movies for the show. It also goes towards upgrading equipment with that as necessary, that kind of deal. Um, thank you to everyone who is currently a patron. Yeah. Y'all are great. We love you. Uh, and yeah, you can also go to our website, h2horrorcast.com. Send us an email, h2horrorcast at gmail.com. Yeah. I run out of things to say, which is rare. Yeah. So there we go. <laughs> my mom, my mom once said that, uh, she was so happy when I learned how to talk. Now she wishes she could just get me to shut up. <laughs> oh, I like hearing you talk. Which is a joke. I know, mom. It's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so until next time, I'm Tia. And I'm still David. And stay spooky, friends. Bye. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon. <laughs>